0: Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Holistic Hippie Podcast. I am back again, and this episode I think is going to be a little bit of um, more of like story time, more of some insights that I have had recently, and I like sharing these things um, just because I find that a lot of us go through the same things, and sometimes you hear about somebody else's experiences, and it causes you to see yours a little differently. So um, I am going to dive a little bit into the energetic chakra system. And uh, we'll just kind of scratch the surface of that just for the sake of some of the realizations that I've had this week. And to be honest with you, I don't know what any of my other episodes are about. I've been scrolling through the titles of them often and this is kind of the way that I live my life and there's pros and cons to this but I don't plan anything. I don't script anything. I just kind of sit here and talk to you guys and uh, a lot of the times after I've recorded an episode um, I never listen to it. So I'm trying to remember if I've told some of these stories before, which I might have. So if there's any overlap, I apologize. Um, But there are some new stories to tell today. So all of that being said, um, I think it's important to put a little bit of a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode. One of my fears when I sat down to really start recording this is that I plan to share a lot of really kind of um, deeply personal stories and events of my own life because I believe that they are teaching tools. And the part that um, I always feel a little concerned about is that I never want anybody that's listening to hear stories when I'm talking about my grandmother or my mother or my sisters um, or even people in my life that I've had encounters with that I've learned something from. Sometimes it's easy to kind of paint these people as bad characters, and uh, they're really not. You know, there's definitely some interesting dynamics at play. Um, but I just want to fully disclose, and this is partly because like I'm horrified one day my mother will find my podcast. (laughs) Um, I don't think that will happen, but if it does, I want to put a disclaimer out there that I absolutely love my mother. I am so grateful that she is the person that she is. And uh, because she is who she is, I am who I am. So there's no, um, there's nothing but love when I share these stories and the same goes for my grandmother. The same goes for really just every human being. I'm just in love <laughs> with all of life. Okay. So all of that being said, this has been kind of an emotional week for me personally. And that's kind of exciting because I don't typically feel emotions of this kind regularly. Um, I have been called usually in arguments, you know, um, but insensitive before by more than one person. So usually if it's more than one person saying the same thing, it's something that we should probably investigate or at least kind of look into a little bit. And uh, I found it to be pretty true. I am kind of insensitive and I don't mean to be. I think that I have a, a pretty wide threshold for, um, I don't know, circumstances that things that might bother other people just kind of don't phase me at all. And, um, that can seem insensitive if somebody is, you know, not necessarily giving you the emotional response that you would expect in any given situation. However, it can also be, um, kind of a a blessing because sometimes, um, let's say like a friend of yours is having a crisis and you meet them there in that emotion, you sort of become useless to them. Um, because you're just kind of being swept downstream with wherever they're going, and it's very easy to do that and I think as women, we do tend to um, trauma bond a lot, and it's it's definitely helpful there's a place for it, but somebody needs to be an anchor, somebody needs to you know hold the space, hold a really meaningful container and so Oftentimes, it is those types of personalities that have a, a very broad emotional landscape where um, it takes a lot to kind of push them into emotion. Now, on the other side of that, I do think that part of my emotionlessness, <laughs> if that's a word, um, comes a little bit from like a self protective mechanism. So there's definitely some work to be done. And I've actually been asking, um, you know, in meditation and in prayer and in whatever my personal spiritual practices are for emotion to connect me with emotion, to help me feel more deeply and allow that emotion to move through me. And so I actually have a playlist on my Spotify that are songs that make me cry. And when I feel like I need to release emotion um, I'll put these these songs on and for whatever reason, they're not even necessarily sad songs. Some of them just, I feel, hold like deep universal truths that move me to my core for whatever reason. And so uh, sometimes I'll have like a little cry session with these these songs because they bring me there. And it's cathartic in some ways. But this week I was definitely not listening to that playlist. This was uh, kind of a different week altogether. So, I called my grandmother um, here in Canada we had a family day I don't really know if that's a thing everywhere but it's kind of it's not even really a stat holiday it's uh sort of a new holiday really in the grand scheme of long weekend holidays but it's a day that we call family day and uh, essentially you take the time to spend with your family and um, I'm not very enthusiastic about holidays in general Um, and I can go down a rabbit hole about colonialism and capitalism and why I'm not interested in celebrating um, a lot of the holidays that really kind of are so closely linked to a capitalistic society However, I have been reminded by people that I love that it's a really healthy thing to celebrate things. And so if I choose not to celebrate conventional holidays, what am I going to celebrate instead? So I'm sitting with that still. But my husband reminds me because he is a sweet, loving being. um, Hey, babe, it's family day. You should probably call your family today. I was like, why? I don't need to be obligated to call people because of a calendar day. He's like, yes, but this day can mean something to other people. And so it's a, it's an act of kindness for you to reach out to people that love you. Okay, fine. So I was on my way to my yoga studio and I decided to call my grandmother and she's alone. She lost my grandfather, um, a little over a year ago now. And I think has kind of been dealing with a little bit of loneliness. And so it seemed like a good idea. So I called her. And I caught her probably on a a wrong day. She's a little bit discouraged with what's going on in the world and uh, has a lot of fear that's coming up. Um, She's kind of a little bit alternative in her way of thinking. She's not necessarily feeling fearful about um, a virus or anything like that. She's very concerned about what's happening politically in uh, our country right now. So, anyway, she was a bit on the negative side when I called her, which is not really anything new for my grandmother, who I love. Um, But what was interesting, and it sort of like catapulted me into this like series of realizations. Um, I called her. I told her, Hey, Grandma, you know, I'm just on my way to work here. I thought that I would just give you a quick call, say happy family day, let you know that I'm thinking about you, that I love you. And she's like, Work? What are you doing for work? I thought you were unemployed right now. I was like, Oh, no, no, no. Remember, I I opened a yoga studio in January. Oh, that. (laughs) And this launched a very long, very um, unexpected, like I was completely blindsided. I shouldn't have been in hindsight, but I was. um, Because what I don't realize, and, and this is something that I was actually talking to uh, Colin about because my father, who isn't really like a, um, a part of my life at all, like we'll talk occasionally and more so recently than, than before, um, but he called me this past Sunday. So all of this kind of took place like over the last four days. Um, I had been calling my dad on Sundays when I get to the yoga studio because it's my cleaning day at the studio. So I'll put my earbuds in and maybe just call somebody and just catch up. I'm trying to like reach out more because I can just get so lost in the work that I'm doing and just disappear. So, um, he called me this past Sunday and I thought it was really sweet. He called me to ask me about my yoga studio. He's like, you know, like you told me that you were doing it and I felt so bad that I, I didn't ask you any questions about it. Like, how's it going? Like, what's, you know, what, what is the structure? Like, how many classes are you teaching? Um, so he, he called me just to ask me about my Business, which I thought was really, really cool, and I was talking to my husband about it because I think it, like, it really caught me off guard. That's not a common thing in my family for people to be, unless you are like um, an academic and you're you're going to university, or um, you are a Christian and you're going to church. There's not a whole lot of um, interest in anything else, so he was asking me all these questions, and I was sharing with Colin, like, wow, I think that's so cool. Like, he actually asked me about myself. Like, that shouldn't, I don't know, that that shouldn't be weird that your family asks you about yourself. But in my family, that's just not what happens. And uh, so I was kind of happy about that. That really made my day. And he asked me, you know, like, well, has your mom, like, what has your mom said? I'm sure she's really proud of you. And I was like, no, she hasn't actually acknowledged that i 've opened a business or anything um, she hasn 't asked me a single question about it, um, and it seems most of the time when I mention it she 's forgotten um, so no that's not really the case there and uh, he's sort of like well like did, how do you, how do you feel about that i'm like i don't know it's kind of normal like it's really to be expected in my family. Um, There was a period of time for a long time that the only time I would hear from my mom and this when I was living in another part of the world, another part of Canada or even in New Zealand, um, that I would only get pocket dials from her and they were all accidental phone calls. Like we would go months and months without speaking, not because we were angry at each other, but just because I guess she's doing what I'm doing. We're both kind of like lost in our own lives and we forget that each other exists. We forget to call and touch base. And, uh, all of that being said, whenever I speak about my mom, you also have to remember that my mother raised, um, four girls, the youngest of which is autistic. And so when my sister Hannah was born, that literally changed the trajectory of our entire lives, our entire family. And my, um, ability to have a mother changed when I was five years old because she all of a sudden had like all of her energy pouring into this one child. And so there's definitely some childhood trauma there. That's really not her fault. She did the best that she could with what she had and the resources that were available. So just like adding a little element to that so that you don't, um, you know, she's really not a bad person and we just have an unconventional dynamic in our family. And so anyways, I was kind of sharing this with Colin and uh, we sort of just left it at that. Like, Oh yeah, no, my mom doesn't acknowledge that I have a business. It's really cool that my dad asked me questions like, cool. So fast forward to my conversation with my grandmother, she starts kind of like launching into first of all, hasn't done any research at all about yoga in general. So in my last episode, we talked about the five obstacles and ignorance is one of the first ones. And there was a quote from Wayne Dyer talking about, and I'll probably butcher it now because I'm not looking at it, but something along the lines of like the most dangerous form of ignorance is people who reject a concept so fully without even taking the time to investigate it. Okay. And so she starts launching into something about like, I need to make sure that whatever I'm doing with this yoga stuff, that I'm not worshiping him. I was so confused. I'm like, what him? Who's him? What are you talking about? She's like, Buddha. I was like, what? Grandma, Buddha's not involved in yoga. Like, what do you mean? This is not like yoga is a discipline. It's a philosophy. It predates the religions of Buddhism and Hinduism. And if anybody was going to be worshipped, it might be one of the deities in Hindu traditions, but um, that's not necessarily like woven into the fabric of yoga. And, um, you know, she kind of went on and on basically about how it's it's going to be too late for me. I'm going to hell essentially for um, all of the decisions that I'm making and the way what I'm choosing to believe. And I was so taken off guard because that's not what I called for (laughs) I called to say hello tell her that I love her not only now is she like again not acknowledging that I've opened a business that's kind of a big deal I don't know I'm 35 I just opened a business like that's kind of cool you know and uh no acknowledgement no congratulations no nothing just basically that what I've chosen to do is basically a one-way ticket to hell so I better uh I better think about what I'm doing and Hopefully, there'll be time for me to repent and all of these things, right? Really condemning. And I think I'm kind of proud of the way that I handled it because I didn't allow it to be emotional. I tried to just like sort of be neutral. And usually when I'm around my family, because I know that this is the way that their religion operates. And this is um, a very thick dogma in my family dynamic that I'm very careful about the words that I use, um, the way that I say things, because I can still talk to them about this idea of God, but have a completely different perspective on it that they don't share. And so because they don't share that perspective, I want to be careful so that we don't have to trip up over these um, what I consider to be minor details for them. It's a major detail and they're not open to have a constructive dialogue about it. So it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It ends up being more harmful than it is good. And so that's fine with me. I'm not here to convert people into whatever it is that I believe. Um, I just want to share my life with my family, right? So anyways, um, you know, we're having this conversation and I keep kind of like trying to just gently correct her. Well, grandma, like, you know, that's, that's not exactly what yoga is about. You should maybe do a little bit more digging. If you're going to have such a strong opinion about what yoga is, I'd be happy to recommend some books or some reading if you're interested in learning about what you are so dead set against, because it sort of just makes, it just makes it easier for you to understand what it is that I'm doing. If you're interested And of course she's not, and that's fine. Um, And so, you know, I said to her, well, you know, grandma, like the good news is that one day we are both going to die and then I'm hoping we'll know the truth. And, you know, she finishes with, well, Jesse, if that's what you're waiting for, it'll be too late for you by then. I said, okay, grandma, well, you know, what I have to say is that I love you and that I want you to just consider that. The belief systems that I hold and the God of my understanding does not condemn anybody else. In fact, there is room for everybody. There is no condemnation. There is no do this or else. Um, You know, this is this is a gracious being that we're talking about here but what's interesting is that your belief condemns everybody that believes something different than you and that's a little concerning and she said it's not me it's God God said and I was like well I think that you need to look again at what God said um and, you know, this is a God that we're talking about that is supposed to love everybody unconditionally, except for that we're missing this big condition. There is a condition. And all of the Christians, um, you know, speak about accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I mean, this is the language of the Christian church. And... Um, That's a big condition. That is a big condition. You know, I remember saying to my dad when I was just a teenager, like, dad, I can't imagine like all the stories that I hear in church, they talk about God as if he's your father. So they call him your heavenly father. And you're telling me that a heavenly father loves his kids so much that he like created all of these children and that he wants us to have free will and that he wants us to have experiences And yet if we don't choose to obey and follow everything that he says, he's going to condemn us to a lifetime of hell. Like that doesn't really make sense to me. What kind of a father would do that? Like that doesn't make any sense. And, uh, you know these are the types of conversations that I would try to initiate because I'm like this this doesn't make sense though like how can you talk about love but have this like harsh punishment it's not like it's just like a hundred years of hell but like a lifetime seriously like what's what's happening here um and all of this please take it lightly if you do subscribe to a religious belief system um you know this is me asking questions and it's important for you to understand that At this point in my journey, like I can, I've come full circle to the teachings of Christ. And what I've discovered personally is that Jesus Christ was not a Christian and he did not teach religion. He taught love. He taught unity. He taught acceptance. He taught non-judgmental behaviors and ways of thinking and being. And yet we do see a lot of these opposites start to come into religious structures. And the same with Buddha. Buddha was not a Buddhist. Krishna was not a Hindu. Um, All of these religions came after these beautiful beings came and tried to essentially teach the same thing. Um, So the, the religious dogma is so thick in my family. And I realized after this conversation with my grandmother, oh my gosh, this is why I don't get any acknowledgement from my mother. Huh? This is why. This is why. And I started to realize the implications of being spoken to that way. And, um, you know, it brought me into this realization of the chakra systems and my own personal development, um, energetically, emotionally. And uh, I realized, and it was so, it was so perfect because that evening I got to the studio and I wasn't teaching that particular evening. My friend Caitlin was, and uh, she led us through a chakra flow, which was very, very interesting because it brought up so much emotion in me. And so If you're not familiar with the chakra system, again, it's just like a way of understanding emotional and energetic development, whether you subscribe to that belief or not, it's kind of still a fascinating tool just to kind of reflect on. And, you know, in different like Asian traditions, they call it different things, but this is sort of like something that has been around for thousands of years. And so in the chakra system, picture like your spinal column and your chakra system running sort of along from the base of your spine to the crown of your head. Now, that is a very rudimentary look into it because, um, you know, we could look at chakra systems as we do with ley lines of the planet. Like the planet has um, energetic Um, frequency highways or ley lines, you can look up ley lines um, on Google and just kind of see what they're all about. It's a beautiful pattern that literally connects the entire planet. And so we are very much connected through 1000s of chakras to our planet, but also upwards into the cosmos as well. Um, and so the, the, the system that we work with predominantly in yoga is kind of seven major centers, sometimes eight or nine, depending on the school of thought that you subscribe to. But picturing sort of the length of your spine from the base of your spine is the first chakra. And just like a rainbow, Roy G Biv, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet, these colors kind of rise up the spine to the crown of the head. And they are said to be evolutionary states of self. Now we can jump through many different stages of evolution on our personal journey, but the root chakra specifically at the base of the spine is the color red. And this is the part of us that is deeply, it's like our sense of belonging in our family. It is the way that we connect with our family unit how safe and secure we feel um, it's kind of like our primal survival instincts all happen at this base chakra at the root As you move up, you go to the color orange, and we're talking like kind of towards like the low belly area, the low abdomen, Um, and this is your sacral chakra. And the sacral starts to kind of be this place of how we relate to our peers, how we start kind of connecting to other people. And usually around this time, um, hormones are starting to be developed. A lot of people look at the chakra systems almost like um, in in seven-year segments that you are developing and maturing as an individual. And so around this time, your sex hormones start to change. You go through um, a lot of emotional fluctuations. You start to develop interests in other people in a more intimate, sensual, sexual way. And so this, this sacral chakra is kind of about how you connect not only with your peers, um, but also how you connect to your own sexuality, your own sensuality, your own creativity and, um, Then we start moving up from there and we're looking at the Manipura or the, um, solar plexus chakra, which connects us. This is our sense of self-esteem, our willpower, our discipline, our confidence, and, um, and you know, we, we start to rise from there into the heart, which is green and the Anahata or the heart chakra is our ability to give and receive love, our ability to forgive, our um, ability to hang on to resentments or, um, you know, to give or receive forgiveness. There's a lot of that kind of compassion and empathy that takes place at the heart. And then we move up to the throat chakra, Vishuddha, which is blue. And this is our center for expression, communication, our ability to speak our truth or, and and in all of these chakras, you can be overactive or underactive, right? Like maybe you say too much and it's like, how do we dial it back a little bit so that we, we only speak what is meaningful and kind. Um, so our, our, our way of self-expression and our ability to communicate happens at the level of the throat chakra going up to the third eye. So the space between the forehead, between the brows, which is our indigo color. And this relates specifically to higher wisdom, to, um, kind of like our our deepest intuition or our connection to the psychic senses of really being able to sense and feel what has no palpability for the five senses. Um, So kind of like psychic communication or higher power or higher wisdom, higher knowledge, higher intellect or discernment. And then getting up to the crown, it's like our connection to source, our connection to the infinite, to the ultimate, to the supreme being, to the Godhead or the God of our understanding. And so all of that being said, I'm going to jump back to the first and second chakra because this is where I really found um, that a lot of these issues for my family life are still kind of sitting in these lower levels of the chakras and I described it to my friend Caitlin after class who taught this amazing restorative um, chakra flow that I was like man it felt like because I started to cry I don't cry <laughs> I don't cry in yoga classes either it's, it's not that it hasn't happened before um, but it's not a common thing especially for me I think Caitlin's never seen me cry in the five years that we've known each other and um so I was telling her after like oh my gosh it's like it was like this like murky muddy thick um residue coming up from the base coming up from the root and you know I realized in this moment I had another friend recently kind of call me out she always is checking in like asking how I am and she says that I always deflect I never answer directly um and my husband says this about me as well. And so I had this realization in this class that I'm like, oh my God, no wonder I don't talk openly about myself with the people that I'm in relationships with. Because in my experience, since I've been a little girl, it's not safe to do that. You start opening up and you open yourself up to being ridiculed, to being condemned. And uh, I started to think about like, wow, like where else is this playing out in my life? Am I still running this old narrative? I must be because it, it it's here and it's affecting me. you know. And I realized in this moment, this conversation with my grandmother, which, you know, we got off the phone and she actually a couple hours later sent me an apology, which was interesting. Um, that's not super common, but I find more as she ages, she's a little quicker to apologize in circumstances like this. But it was such an interesting realization that at some deep fundamental level, it's like, I have this feeling it's just not safe to be me. And that takes me back so far into childhood. It's wild. So then, of course, the day after, um, so this is it yesterday, no, the day before, um, my friend Adam teaches all the classes at my studio on Tuesdays. And so I love going to his classes. He's got like a really playful uh, class that we do first. And then the second class is a meditation class and his meditation class Of all weeks, and he's the same as me. He doesn't plan what he's going to teach before. Like, it's like, let's see who arrives and let's see what wants to come through. And so um, he leads us through this meditation where he had us go back to our childhood home and all of the trauma and the emotions that came out. I cried through the almost that entire meditation. It was so interesting. And I think partly because this experience with my grandmother was still so fresh in my mind. Um, that it, it really sort of came out. But I love kind of looking at the chakra system specifically. When you, when you describe what chakras are, they're known to be or they're, they're translated from Sanskrit as uh, spinning vortice, vortices or spinning wheels of light. And ultimately, we are light beings. I mean, so this is, this is kind of one level of our own energetic um, interpersonal growth and development. And it's just kind of a useful tool, if nothing else, because if you also look at sort of like what are known to be the the physical implications of an imbalanced chakra system, every single chakra from the root to the crown are all linked to physical conditions. And so when I first started learning about the chakras, I mean, this was, ah, oh, geez, close to 10 years ago now. And, um... I was a recovering Christian, I called myself at that time, um, I was not looking for another belief system or anything else to subscribe to, it was enough in a, for a whole lifetime that I had experienced growing up, and yet, you know, the, I was I was a little resistant to the, this, this way of thinking at that time, and what I found odd was that we were talking about like, okay, so the root chakra is your sense of belonging in your family, um, your sense of security, your sense of safety, okay, like, sure not really very strong for me. Um, but then as we looked to, okay, well, what would be the physical implications if you were imbalanced here? And all of the physical problems that I was having, constipation, diarrhea, um, issues of your, of your elimination, which was like literally running my life at that time. I was like, oh, that's weird. That's an interesting coincidence. And as we started going up each chakra and learning about what happens when they're not balanced, it was like too uncanny to be discredited because I was like, well, what are the odds that like, I feel like the first three are blocked and every single ailment, it's like manifesting in my body. This is wild. So I find it's like a really useful framework to kind of look at our own development and see, you know, how we relate to the world, how we relate to each other, how we relate to ourselves and the stories that we create and that we tell ourselves and others about who we think we are. And um, it's interesting because there are so many layers. And so the the more like um, sanctimonious or self-righteous that we become, and I hear this a lot with people that consider themselves to be spiritual teachers or healers or what have you, um, that it's like they think they're done. They're done this work. And in all honesty, like I often wonder like, am I done with this yet or is there going to be more surfacing? Because I find that it's like an onion. It's like, okay, just when you got over like – All the things that you thought there were, oh, wait, there's more, but you weren't ready for that then. So it only makes sense for you to deal with what you're ready for at each juncture. And I mean, the good news is when I was first working through a lot of this chakra stuff, it was a lot harder. It was a lot more painful. Um, you know, especially as you become an adult, like we don't really have the time to start looking back at the implications of our childhood. And the thing that is so uncanny about childhood, it's just kind of, it's normal for us. You know, I have many friends who, when they start reflecting and like sharing stories about their childhood, it's like, holy shit, that was pretty dysfunctional. That's really not normal. What is normal? I mean, that's a whole other thing, but I think the level of dysfunction that a lot of us kind of just discount, we're not really present to, or we haven't really spent a whole lot of time thinking about it. But what ends up happening is we develop our personality around this kind of gap in our own development. And it can create kind of like, not necessarily, I don't want to call them personality defects. I don't think anyone is defected, but it's that we're behaving out of this place of not being fully healed or realized. And so I discovered that my, inability to even kind of celebrate my own accomplishments is tied so much to literally my grandmother. But then also I look at everybody like, okay, well, I know that my mother was raised by my grandmother and I've had my experiences with my grandmother. So I can only imagine what my mother dealt with as a child. So that explains so much to me about why my mom is the way that she is. But then I look at my grandmother. I'm like, all right, what was your mother like? What was your upbringing like? Because like, how did you get to be like this? And how far back does this whole thing go? Like, where is the start of, of the trauma? Where is the first inception trauma because it's like we're all passing it down in this hereditary way because no one stops to ask questions about, is it normal to feel this way? Is it normal to get this angry? Is it normal to lash out? Is it normal to have all of these um, functions in my behavior? We just kind of like accept, oh, well, that's just the way she is. And we move forward. And for me, for whatever reason, I just don't like that. <laughs> I don't, I don't feel like we should ever just settle with, yeah, well, that's just how I am. So get used to it. Um, it's a cop-out, it's a cop-out and it's sort of us not doing our own work. So, you know, this conversation that I had with my grandmother, it really sort of brought me to, I do, uh, I practice a lot with, uh, the Hopopo Ono prayer. And if you're not familiar with that, it's a beautiful Hawaiian prayer of uh, essentially forgiveness and um, you can offer it to yourself. And I think that it's very powerful to offer it to yourself. It's also a beautiful thing to offer to other people, especially those that maybe um, you're in a dysfunctional relationship with, or maybe people you're estranged from, you no longer talk to, but there's still sort of like unresolved wounds there. And um, it's, it's just basically like a practice in cultivating compassion for other people and really taking accountability for um, your contribution because it's everything is a two way street, right? So this pair is very simple. It's four statements and it goes, I'm sorry, please forgive me thank you. I love you. I'm certain I've shared this on the podcast before. And so I was, I was kind of sending my grandmother this ha popo. Oh no. And then I was sharing this like with my inner child who I realized like, wow, like there's still some sadness there. There's still this like little girl that would love to be told by someone in her family line that they're proud of her and that they see her accomplishments and they celebrate her, you know? And, um, my mom will tell me that like randomly, like it's not that she doesn't, but it's that in these particular circumstances, I don't have anybody really to share them with aside from my partner who literally tells me every single day how proud he is of me. And I realize that even in those moments, I sort of like deflect and then I'm like, yeah, well, anybody could do what I'm doing. And I, I do make these statements a lot, which um, partly is intentional because I want people to understand that. Literally, the only thing that's stopping anybody from doing what it is that I'm doing is that they don't believe they can do it. And like, I'm literally sitting here talking to you with like the most ghetto setup that there is. This is not a fancy podcast in any way, shape or form. Anybody can do what I'm doing. However, it's okay to be proud of yourself and it's okay to celebrate your own accomplishments. And that's something that really kind of came forward for me with this whole conversation and this whole scenario. Um, So I wanted to share that because I think that sometimes we sort of downplay how much our relationships with our family can actually affect us. And when we do that, we're sort of missing like a whole jewel of really valid information that can support us in our growth. And I mean, I figure if you're listening to this podcast, you're at least like somewhat interested in personal growth. You wouldn't keep listening if you weren't. And so, you know, really kind of looking at... And this goes back to even anything that we believe. Why do I believe what I believe? And was it mine? Did I choose it? Or is it something that was chosen for, chosen for me? Or does it come from having these experiences really young that created the belief? And it's so primitive that it's like... The same way that say, as a toddler might touch a hot stove and they realize, ow, that's hot. And there's a, there's a lesson that's learned right in that moment. It's the same way, like the very first time that grandma scolds me, you know, that it's like, oh my God, it's not safe. It's not safe to be around her. And so, um, yeah, like what, what are those scenarios for you? What are those circumstances for you? In what way has your childhood shaped your beliefs? And are these beliefs actually true? Are they rooted in your past experience? So maybe they were true for a time, but that's not the whole truth, right? And the truth is that it is safe for us to be seen and heard. It is. It's not comfortable sometimes and it's not something that everybody wants to see, Um, but it is is safe because we are safe in and of ourselves. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things that we can learn, especially from people that maybe have kind of taught us through their behavior the opposite um i can't remember where i read it it's probably floating around on instagram somewhere but something about how like the people that abandoned you have taught you how to stand on your own two feet the people that have made you cry have taught you how to find an emotional resilience and it's like all of these ways that even the people that that do things that are not kind or not rooted in love they're still some of our biggest teachers because they teach us things that we could only learn through, through trauma, through tragedy, through difficult um, situations and experiences. So to conclude this rambling storytime podcast... Um, I would highly encourage you to start doing a little bit of digging into the chakra system. If you're not super familiar with it, it becomes a really awesome framework that you can use to kind of just gauge like, where am I at, you know, and it's not um, linear in its progression. So don't look at it like, you know, you need to climb the hierarchy. Like that's not at all. There's no hierarchy on the, on the spiritual path. Um, But you know, it's like looking at, and here I am, like I just looped back to the to the root chakra. I'm like, man, seriously, <laughs> I thought I was like so much further along and here we are back to the root, back to dealing with grandma, back to dealing with mom, like here we are. So, ah, it's okay. And we go through a lot of these circles and I just sort of think about it, you know, like, I mean, even the way that, that a lot of spiritual, um, teachings sort of, compare your higher self to like a lustrous gem or like a crystal, but we have to remember that these stones, these precious gemstones are found and usually completely encased in rock. They're dug out of cliffs and mountains and underground, and they have to be polished and polished and polished and polished before they can reach that beautiful, lustrous natural state that exists within. And so in the same way, this is just another round of polishing, or some of those things that have made themselves known, some of the imperfections or the, um, defaults or the programs and beliefs that I'm running at a subconscious level that I had not been fully aware of until this conversation. So, you know, it's such a, a beautiful thing. I sort of welcome these types of, um, realizations and these types of conversations, it's not pleasant. I probably wouldn't have called my grandmother if I knew that that's the way the conversation was going to go. Um, but at the same time, I'm pretty proud of the fact that on my journey with kind of like healing my throat chakra, let's say, because I used to be the kind of person, especially like more in elementary and early high school where I was a doormat. I wouldn't say anything to anybody. I was afraid of confrontation. Um, I tried to just, I was a people pleaser, tried to make everybody happy. And when I started to find my voice, I got angsty and I got angry and I got confrontational. And then it was like, I picked fights with everybody. Then I became this like unruly child. And like, I would pick fights at family dinners over basic things, like that really don't need to matter. Um, I think the first time I met my sister's now husband, I had like picked a fight with my grandmother because she wanted to cook rice in the microwave. And I'm this like food snob that cannot handle the thought of why anyone would ever cook anything in the microwave, let alone rice, like boil the pot. What is wrong with you? (laughs) And so I picked a huge fight, which turned into like this big family thing. I thought I was right. I couldn't understand why nobody saw where I was coming from. And, um, you know, so that was when my throat chakra was maybe a little overactive. Now in hindsight, I don't care. Cook the rice, however you want to cook the rice, you know, um, it's not worth my energy. But at the time, I was sort of like reacting to everything because I had been silent for so long. So it was like, no, we're not cooking the rice in the microwave. You know, what else What else can I dig up that's wrong that hasn't been righted ever? Um, you know, so sometimes we go through these multiple stages. But I was really proud of how I was able to just kind of stay light with it all, um, not take it personally, because it's not personal. This is what she really deeply believes. I can't blame her. If you believe something really, really deeply and you saw that somebody was behaving, behaving and acting and and making decisions in their life that you really believed was going to cause them harm at some level, like that's got to be a tough place to live. Um, So I have so much respect for that. And it makes me a little sad because, you know, she's created a little bit of a lonely life for herself and that she's only surrounded by people that believe the same things that she believes. And so there's really no opportunity to expand or to grow a little bit outside of those rigid belief systems, which I think if we were to really look at the essence of what God is described to be, especially in some of those religions, there's so much contradiction to what is believed and what is actually presented and demonstrated. So it is, uh, you know, the people that kind of trigger us and challenge us the most that can end up being some of our greatest teachers. And it's not something that we need to tell these people like, Hey, grandma, thanks for being such a, such a bitch, you know, um, for that reason, I am such a better person. Like you just don't do that, you know? And I I wouldn't also tell her like, wow, like you're one of my greatest teachers. Like, you know, I, we just don't need to have that conversation. Um, I see that she is doing the best that she can with what she has been given in this life and that she's really wholeheartedly coming from a good place in her, in her heart. And, um, I think that, you know, at any point in time that we find ourselves entertaining belief systems that exclude large groups of other people, it's really time to just maybe investigate what is true. Um, You know, we are one. We are one. We are One, and we are coming back into unity and wholeness as a collective. And so there is no more room for discrimination and for hatred and for division. There just isn't. However, it does need to burn itself up. So these are important conversations to have. They're important differences to have. And if we can meet them with love and compassion, that's when we show much stronger than just following blindly a belief. We embody our beliefs. And I think that's really the goal. And that was kind of, I guess, when I reflected later on the scenario, I was like, well, you know what? Old me would have lost my mind on her. I would have put her in her place. We would have had a big conversation. I probably never would have spoken to her again. And and again, maybe would have been a couple months or years, but, um, there's no reason. There's no reason to do that. So instead I sort of took a lighthearted approach. I laughed it off. I told her that I loved her. She kept telling me I was going to hell and I would sort of laugh like, well, grandma, listen, like, I hope you're wrong. And I hope that what I believe is right. Um, but you know what, regardless, I just love you so much, you know, and that was kind of how I, I treated it. And I think because I was lighthearted with it, I think because I, I didn't let her get to me, she was able to come to the realization a lot sooner that she had something to apologize to me for. So, you know, it's just so interesting. And I think that, I don't know, like Ram Das always says, you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family. Because these are the people that just know how to push your buttons. They want to keep you the same. They want to keep you as the person that you've always been. Because as soon as you start making positive changes, and what's interesting is that they don't always seem to react as much to the negative changes, although maybe they do. I guess it depends on your family, but... In my experience, when you start making positive changes, my positive changes were so much harder for my family to actually deal with than the ones that were taking me down a destructive path. And I think that's very interesting because suddenly my changes almost like call them out without calling them out. Um, I'm trying to live my, my life in a better way and hold myself to a higher way of being a higher standard. And for whatever reason, that was provoking a lot of reactivity from different members of my family at different times. So I think it's fascinating, but, you know, we work these things out with each other. We, we picked our family for whatever strange reason, and uh, we're here to work things out together and we don't have to agree on everything to still find that common ground of love and compassion and respect. And, um, you know, it's interesting that, It doesn't age, doesn't always equate to wisdom. And I think that's something that a lot of older generations, it's kind of like you just respect your elders because they're wise, but we're sort of lacking elders. Like I was talking to this about this with my friend Adam the other day, like we don't really have elders in our communities anymore. A lot of our elders are ending up with like mental health problems, dementia, Alzheimer's, and they're in, um, old folks homes or, or nursing homes in the end of their years. They're not these like revered elders sitting around the campfire and parting wisdom to the younger generations. That's just not what's happening. In fact, a lot of the wisdom that they have to impart, especially over the last two years has become almost redundant because it's not the same world. We are not living in the same world with the same opportunities as our, our uh, older generations had. So it's very interesting that, you know, wisdom, I'm seeing a lot of wisdom come from younger generations now. Than older generations. And I think it's fascinating. And I think that, you know, those of us that are kind of coming into this level of wisdom or we're asking the hard questions and we're doing the hard work and we're reflecting and we're trying our best that we are doing something so different than previous generations that just went with the flow. And, you know, you live what you learn. So if there was dysfunction in your family home, often you end up bringing a little bit of that into your life, whether you mean to or not. Some people are sort of like they go the complete opposite way. They don't want any type of, um, experience that they had growing up. It's like the people say that they were raised with an alcoholic parent. Um, it's almost like you either follow that exact path or you're sober and you don't drink because you've seen how destructive it can be. And you're just not interested in going down that path. And, um, that's an extreme case when you have, you know, say like just behavioral dysfunction, that's easy to just repeat. Very easy because that's just what you do and you don't even think about it. It's just the way that you fall into behavior patterns. So for those of us that are, you know, on this journey and we're asking questions and we're trying to seek deeper clarity, we are the generational curse breakers. Um, You know, we are the ones that are changing the energetic, emotional heredity of our lineage. And in this way, we actually can serve as very, very beautiful healers for our whole family line. And this does not mean you need to go and tell your family that you're healing for them. I mean, don't be so self-righteous about it. You can just do the work. And because you're doing the work, when you learn to embody the changes, not just intellectualize them because this is sort of what happens at the beginning of the journey. We intellectualize the path, we intellectualize the insights, but we don't embody them fully. We try them on when it feels nice, and then we discard them when we're not ready to be mature in certain circumstances. And again, I always speak from experience. I've spent a lot of time doing that, intellectualizing. And then I manifest a partner that calls me out on my crap. So that's where we're at but you know when we're able to fully step into the embodiment of the new beliefs that we're forming the new ways of being that we resonate with we make changes very powerful and yet subtle but very powerful changes to our experience to our family line and you know The only thing that you can ever offer another being is to work on yourself. That's the only thing that we can offer anyone. We don't have to be saviors. We don't have to be heroes. We don't have to change our life and go and spread the good word. Like we don't have to do that. You just have to stay rooted in and embodied in the changes that you're cultivating for yourself. And that's enough. That's so much more powerful than going door to door, (laughs) trying to convert people into this new way of living because you almost want to act almost like it's like the law of attraction. It's like you become in your embodied state, this like beautiful shining aura that people are like, I don't know what you are, but I just want to be around you. Like what, what is it that you believe or do? Like, how can I get some of what you have? Right. It's just this allure. So without having to go door to door and force feed people, this new way of being, you integrate it into yourself, you embody it into yourself and people will start Flocking to that flame that you've become. And the beautiful thing, and this is what Buddha says, is that it does not put out a flame to light many others. One flame can provide a light for many, many other flames. So there is no threat, there is no lack. It's said in the Upanishads, which is a very ancient um, yogic text, that abundance scoops from abundance and yet abundance remains. So it's this idea that there is no such thing as scarcity. And for that reason, there's no competition, that uh, there's enough on this planet to meet everyone's needs, but there's not enough to meet everyone's greed. And so, you know, when we approach our lives in this really humble way of just trying to focus on ourselves, do the work on ourself, make changes for ourselves, there is more than enough abundance To go around. And that abundance, I find it often in just the ability to make new uh, realizations. Um, Abundance of change that is possible when we start uh, traversing this. Like there is so much abundance within you that you could change your entire personality over the course of your life just by doing some of this work. And that's amazing. There are abundant nuances that you can step into as you navigate this journey. And so all you have to do is work on yourself. No big deal. Um, however the biggest deal <laughs> that there is. <laughs> ah, so thank you for tuning in to this random story time episode. Um I'll be back again to record more content soon, but I always love to hear from you. What are you learning right now? What are your insights right now? Um, I got a cool Instagram message from a listener the other day who had a question about something that she's going through and it kind of brought up this like, ooh, what is love and can you have attachment in love? And so I'm thinking that might serve as a really nice topic for next time. So tune in and uh, thanks thanks for joining me. Have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your day, and I hope to talk to you soon.